parable of the prodigal son is among the most popular and beloved of Jesus' teachings, even outside the Christian church. In her first sermon at Church of Our Savior in Mill Valley, California, our deacon, Betsy Rosen, talks about the three remarkable characters and through them how Jesus embraces the breadth of human experience and teaches us and his followers how God expects us to live with each other. This sermon was delivered on March 18, 2007. In the name of Jesus, who teaches us how to live. son is probably the best known and most beloved story that Jesus ever told. It's quite possible that for all those people around the world who are drawn to the figure of Jesus and their legion, whether they accept the rest of Christianity or not, this is the story that best expresses the Christian hope. And that should not surprise us, because through his genius at storytelling, Jesus creates in this brief drama three indelible characters. The younger son who demands his share of the family fortune and then blows it, only returning home when he's at rock bottom. The older son who plays by the rules and fully expects to be rewarded for it. And finally, and crucially, the father in his loving but differing response to each of them. In this one story, Jesus lays out for his listeners in the way best suited to reach both their minds and their hearts the answers to the questions they and we still ask. What is God like, this God we hear about but don't see? What is it that pleases God? And finally, how does God want us to live But we want to know, the crowd say, tell us, help us. This isn't a question just for the Pharisees and scribes. Let us in on the secret. And because Jesus is at least a couple of millennia ahead of Carl Jung in his understanding of archetypes, if the two siblings through whom he tells his story don't cover the whole waterfront of human personality, they come pretty close. The younger son The one who leaves wants what we all want at the beginning of our lives. Everything. He wants to travel, to leave behind the narrow, stifling boundaries of the home he happened by sheer accident to be born into. And see the world beyond to enjoy all its excitements and pleasures. Otherwise, he might be wasting the short life that he has. But in his recklessness, he assumes that the sudden prosperity he enjoys will go on forever and fails to factor in the possibility that there might be a famine in the country where he ends up and that he might find himself impoverished and alone. We can easily see here overtones of the Aesop's fable about the carefree, improvident grasshopper who plays his fiddle all summer long and then winter comes and he has nothing set aside. 
As for the wound this son has caused his father through his rash departure and his disrespect, he doesn't, it doesn't seem even to have entered his mind. The older son appears to be just the opposite. Whereas his brother is lazy and skips out on his share of the work, he's always done his duty, everything he's supposed to do. Now he comes back from the fields at the end of the day, hot and sweaty, and he has to find out from the slaves what's going on when he hears the music in the distance. And when his father pleads with him, when he comes out to him, the son who's angry and jealous, and the father pleads with him to come into the party, he bursts out in a rage and complains about everything he's ever done and how he slaved for his father and how his younger brother who didn't do anything right and messed up constantly is the one that got the fatted calf killed for him. It's hard for us not to sympathize with this brother in the face of what seems to be an unjust situation. But it's also not hard to see in him as well our own tendency to draw a line, make a column, and keep account of, store up all our good deeds, our sacrifices, for the day when we can use them as moral ammunition. Now we see that, in a sense, both sons have been lost to the father, one in a foreign country and one behind a barricade of self-righteousness. It's like a ball, like a hard cocoon we can construct around ourselves, all fitted out with reasons why and why not, why we're right and they're wrong. Until at last it just shuts us in, deprives us of any joy we may feel for others or even for ourselves. It's hard to imagine this brother enjoying a party, even if his father gave him one. He clearly thinks he's been the model of unselfishness, yet because he himself is the center of all his thoughts, at this crucial moment when his brother who was thought dead returns home alive, he is incapable, really tragically incapable, of entering into his father's joy. The good news in the story comes in the way the father responds to each of his offspring. We can imagine the shame and the fear, really, of the younger brother as he approaches the home he remembers so well, his speech of repentance memorized over all those miles headed there. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more worthy to be called your son. But he never gets to finish his speech because his father runs out to meet him and throws his arms around him and kisses him. His head must have been spinning. Even now, at this late date, he has known his father so little that the possibility that he might be forgiven and restored to his old place in the household hasn't even occurred to him. You may have heard the saying that each of us has a God-shaped hole in us that only God can fill an empty space we seem to have been born with, full of a restless yearning towards something or someone we once knew intimately and that knew us. But is it possible that there also exists in God's heart a me-shaped hole 
a U-shaped hole that no one else can fill. The prodigal son doesn't have to go through the litany of his confession of how low he is, how unworthy of his father's love. All he needs to do is appear in the distance to be that longed-for, unique silhouette on the horizon, headed for home. That's all it takes. We do need to make that first step ourselves, it's true, to turn around and move in the direction, at least, that leads to home. But in this story of a parent's love, Jesus suggests the almost not believable that God will not wait for us to trudge up to the doorway our miserable list of failures in our hand, but through the sheer joy of our motion towards return will run out to meet us while we are still far off. What about the son who took a different path, the one that seems to have isolated him in resentment and a sense of entitlement? With this equally loved son, the father gently pleads to come and join the festivities, not ordering him to enter, but wanting him to. Do come, my son, we can hear him saying. It won't be the same without you. Not an authority figure, this father. Not like an authority figure, but like a friend, almost. The kind of friend who loves us enough to tell us a home truth, even when we don't want to hear it. Does it work? Does the older son follow his brother's example, admit, admit that he's made a fool of himself and come to the party? The story doesn't tell us any more than we know whether the younger one is going to shape up and begin to work hard and take his share of the load. My guess is neither change will happen all at once. But because he knows them, loves them, and accepts them as they are, with patience at their failings, and certainty of the good that is in them, the Father creates the conditions, the ground, on which these transformations may begin and continue. All right, we say, this is what God is like. This parent who longs for our return, always ready to forgive us and restore us to a place we did nothing, could not do anything to earn besides just being who we are. This is how God pleases us. How then do we please God? This can be a tricky question. If we were raised as a hard-shell Baptist or a particularly scrupulous Catholic or even an observant Jew, we may have internalized a system of rules and regulations that we believe will justify us and satisfy us in God's eyes. Um, so many rosaries said, so many lines of scripture memorized, so many of the purity laws observed. But in our story, Jesus seems to be saying something quite different, that we please God not by strictly obeying a sense of rules, though the rules may be excellent rules, even life-giving 
but by the profound gift of returning to God from whatever false start or dead end we have reached that keeps us separated from him. Yes, God likes presents, surprises. We can please God, cause God's heart to leap with joy, like the father in the story. But the inclination has to come from us, not coerced, not forced on us through any imposed feelings of shame. Those of us who are parents of older children, not to mention grown children like mine, will know what it feels like not to get a phone call when you would really, really like to have one. Martin and I routinely joke as we come in the front door and listen for the beep of the message machine, oh, which one of our children do you think called us today? The answer being usually none. (laughs) Sometimes we're tempted to make them feel guilty about it, although we know their lives are busy and often overwhelmed. But we make a solemn oath not to. Not because we couldn't, because guilt would probably work, at least in the short term, but because it would take away from how sweet it is to pick up the phone and hear that familiar voice that called because they wanted to. All right, so Jesus has given us a picture of what God is like and some clues to what pleases God. But we're still left asking ourselves at the end of all that, how then does God want us to live? This morning's newspaper is so full of serious problems our world is facing, we can feel almost completely overwhelmed. Sometimes it feels like it would be hard for the future to look any more difficult. The war continues and grows. The economic situation is uncertain at best. Even if we start right now and the whole world cooperates, including for the first time our own country, we are going to be seriously affected adversely by dramatic changes in our global climate. Taking a look back at the story of the father with his two sons, we ask anxiously, where is it leading us? Yes, it's crucial to experience the love and never-ending presence of God in our innermost souls. That's the beginning, the essence, the ground of everything. But life does call us to move outward beyond this private understanding. We are probably not going to get the option of just hunkering down at home, no matter how deep the joy we get there from our parents' love, or how well we learn to work, or even to forgive. Just creating loving families, even loving communities, won't be enough, though it is the necessary start to the task that lies ahead of us. Like it or not, we will be obliged to move out into the world that we share with both enemies and friends. The future of our planet depends on it. Everything and everyone will have to come together, all talents necessary and put to use. 
the passion and optimism, even the reckless optimism of youth with its vision that sees beyond the horizon, the strength and dependability of those who make things happen, who keep their minds engaged in working, their shoulders to the wheel. Discomfort may become familiar. Sacrifice, no longer a religious ideal, but a plain necessity, the same for everyone. But here's the good news. Having created and known us, having sent us out in freedom and welcomed us back in joy, God is not about to leave us now. How does God want us to live? To the fullest. In the days and months and years to come, we who hear the promise of Jesus' parables, those deeper truths he speaks to our hearts, must take that truth and broadcast it, send it out, take it out into a world in need of leadership and example. God is good. We are loved and accepted as we are. Change is possible. All lies ahead. In the name of God, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We strive to be a welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or through our website, OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R. S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.